0: Romans chapter 11, Romans the 11th chapter. I have to confess that I am having one of the times of my life in Romans 11, and I, I'm not sure everyone else is. This is deep, deep water, tough sledding, but I, I have loved seeing my theology sharpened and my history come into focus in this passage because. It answers a question that you must answer if you are a Bible student and a Bible lover. We're going to pick up the passage here in Romans 11 and study this morning, verses 11 through 16. Let me read that for us. Paul, writing to this little church in Italy, says, I say then, they, this is Israel, did not stumble so as to fall. Did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. inasmuch then as I, I am an apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. As I said a moment ago, any Christian who is serious about his or her Bible will eventually deal with the question of Israel. Specifically, the future of Israel. Specifically, the past of Israel. Israel specifically the promises to Israel and the nation of Israel. The simple question is this. What do we do with the many promises that God made to and that God made about the nation of the Jews, the nation of Israel? If you'd like, you can follow me over to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, especially if you've been in the church for very long, but one that really has had such tragic explanations, honestly. It's not difficult to understand if you'll let the text say what it says. I love this passage. This is no computer generated graphics could capture. What your imagination puts together with this passage. Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them and round about them, and behold, there were many, very many on the surface of that valley floor, and lo, they were very dry. These were bones that had had all of the flesh rotted, or birds had taken off of them, and they were dried. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I love his answer. And I answered, oh, Lord, you know. (laughs) Again, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life. I will put sinews, tissue on you that will be flesh and it will grow back on you and I will cover you with skin. I will put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I prophesied as I did. There there was a noise, and, and behold, I love this a rattling. Can't you hear the bones clinking together? A rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked. And behold, sinews, connective tissue, muscles were on them. Flesh grew, skin covered them. There was no breath in them. Then God said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, here's where we find the interpretation of what's happening. Son of man, these bones are the whole House of Israel. Heard this preached many times in Christian context. This is what a preacher does. He preaches the dry bones. That's not what this passage is about. The bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people. And I will bring you into the land. Real estate. Of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves. And caused you to come out of your graves. My my people. I will put my spirit within you. And you will come to life. And I will place you on your own land. Then then you will know that i the lord have spoken and i've done it declares the lord ezekiel is looking at the nation he says a few things there will be a time when they are dead spiritually unresponsive but there will be a time when god takes those bones which represents the what he said the whole nation of israel We'll put them back together, he'll breathe life in them, and the nation will be his again. Now here's the question: When and how will that happen? The answer any knowledgeable Jew would provide for you is simple: That will happen when Messiah comes. And Messiah came. But it didn't happen yet. So how do we process this? Can I read you another paragraph? Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. After healing the paralytic, John and Peter had done so. This is the second great Christian sermon. This is the second um, uh, of Peter's sermons. We often look at the first in Acts 2. This one is equally as profound. Acts chapter 3 verse 11. While he, this is the paralytic who was, who was healed, while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or our piety we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's the God of the Old Testament. The God of our fathers. That God has glorified who? His servant, Jesus the one whom you delivered and you disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Give us Barabbas instead of Jesus. Look at verse 14. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, brethren... I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets that his Messiah, his Christ, would suffer. Well, that's been fulfilled. He fulfilled it. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things, that would include Israel, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed and everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. He's saying, what we're experiencing with the Jews rejecting the Messiah, the prophets told us about. They told us about these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophet's And of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised, for the Jews first, for you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Those two passages have significant bearing and background with Romans chapter 11. the Jews had, as a nation, rejected the Messiah. They had not received it. Sure, some Jews had believed, Paul being one that he gave testimony to about believing in Christ at the beginning of this chapter. But the nation as a whole rejected the Messiah that God sent. And even though there were Jewish Christians who represented God's remnant, verses 7 to 10 tell us that, Paul has just argued that God has hardened the hearts of the majority of Israel so they will not perceive the gospel. They won't understand it, won't comprehend it. Now this raises a question. Well, if God has done that and he promised that he's going to restore them, has God permanently blinded the eyes and closed the ears and dulled the understanding of Israel. It's a good question. Paul knows that's the question in our minds. He anticipates it and asks it and answers it for us. His answer is no. God is not finished with Israel. Israel's unbelief actually is a part of God's plan to open a door so the Gentiles can receive the Jewish Messiah. That's exactly what he explains in these verses. Let's look at it together. Israel's stumbling results in two divine objectives for salvation. That's our, our header. Israel's stumbling results in two divine objectives, targets for salvation. The first is in verses 11 and 12. First result is salvation for the Gentiles. Salvation for the Gentiles. If you are not Jewish if you don't have Jewish blood flowing through your veins this morning, I want you to take a deep breath of holy spirit inspired grace this morning and thank almighty God that he has smiled on us. Verse 11. I say then, they, Israel, who were just had in verse 10, their eyes and ears shut to the gospel. They did not stumble so as to fall. Did they? Remember, Paul's just quoted David in, chapters, in verses 9 and 10 from Psalm 69, where David requested that a, God place a big rock, big enough to stumble over in the path of his enemies. He says this stumbling block actually is the metaphor and illustration for the rock of salvation, Jesus Christ, who's put before every man, especially the Jews, who didn't build their life on him. They actually stumbled over him. Let's understand the illustration. You understand the illustration. You ever stumbled over something and then had that most graceful moment where you had the recovery? I've stumbled and hit the ground many times. But have you ever stumbled and over the manipulations of your body mechanics and balance didn't hit the floor, but you caught yourself? and you didn't fall. You just wanted to look around and say, you can't teach that. That's all natural. (laughs) Stumbled but not fall. That's the picture here of Israel. Paul highlights tripping without falling, stumbling without hitting the ground, regaining your balance before the fall. He's already been explicit about this stumbling. Remember chapter 9, verse 32? Why? Why? Because they, why did Israel fall? Because they, why did they stumble? Because they did not pursue salvation by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame or disappointed. And Paul says, they stumbled, but are they going to make it to the ground? Is God going to be done with them? He's using a, a picture, a metaphor. He goes back to his emphatic statement, may it never be. It's the strongest way you can say that in Greek. Absolutely no way. In other words, Israel tripped and stumbled, but Israel did not fall all the way to the ground. But, but, verse 11 says, by their transgression. We find out some things. Israel's transgression. Israel's rejection of Jesus, rejection of the gospel, actually is, is described by Paul here as a transgression, as a sin. What others tripping is, it's sin. It's the rejection of the Messiah. Remember John chapter one, how John opens his his great gospel. He says, Jesus came, this is John 1:11. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But Now this is still the context of the Jews, but as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or the will of flesh nor the will of man, but they were born of God. He came to his own and his own didn't receive him. That is the tragic reality on which the rest of the New Testament is, is actually built. And it's what Paul chooses to explain here in Romans 11. But notice the stumbling had an unexpected effect. This rejection of the Messiah by the Jews had a very unexpected effect. Look in the middle of the verse. Salvation, salvation by their transgression... Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them, the Jews, jealous. What is going on here? Parazelao. It's the word for jealous. It's an interesting word. It means emotionally excited. It can mean inciting someone to act in a way similar to arouse jealousy so as to provoke imitation. That's what the dictionary says about this word. Provoking someone to jealousy to act and live and have what you have. That's exactly what's going on here. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. What does that mean? Paul explains that the stumbling of Israel provided the occasion for carrying the message of salvation to the Gentiles. And if their stumbling had had this such a beneficial effect, Paul's going to tell us in a minute that their later blessing will even be better. Now, I want to pull over for just a moment here because this has such a a specific application and implication for those of us who are saved, whether we're Jewish or or, uh, Gentile, but specifically if you're a saved Gentile. There's a specific implication and command for us here. You say, what do you mean? Let let me me just borrow the words of Leon Morris because he says it so much better than I could. Morris writes... It's a matter of profound regret that just as Israel refused to accept this salvation when it was offered to them, so the Gentiles all too often have refused to make Israel envious. Instead of showing God's grace to God's ancient people, the Jews, instead of showing them the attractiveness of the Christian way, Christians have characteristically treated the Jews with hatred, prejudice, persecution, malice, and all uncharitableness. Then Morris says this, Christians should not take this passage calmly. If our salvation as a saved Gentile is to provoke the Jews to be jealous of a relationship we have with the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, what does that inform about how we treat, respond to, interact with, discuss the gospel with Jews? How does that touch how we talk about Jews? We're supposed to live in such a way that makes them scratch their head and want to live like we do because of the one that we know. Verse 12, now if their transgression is riches for the world, that's the gospel, Ephesians 1, the riches of his grace. If their transgression, their sin of rejecting Messiah has become riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, Paul's saying that the Gentiles had a vital ministry to Israel. Saved Gentiles are to provoke jealousy in the lives of our Jewish friends. And yes, we are to have Jewish friends. Yes, Israel, taken as a whole nation and its ethnicity, has stumbled. But he has a remnant The Gentiles are to discover and find and bring to the gospel by our evangelism. Their failure is riches to the Gentiles. We're going to find out in a moment the riches of the Gentiles were to give back to the Jews. The salvation, by the way, of Gentiles is, uh, and the nations is what Gentiles are called so often in the Old Testament has always been a part of God's plan. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. God says, I love this. Listen to how he phrases this. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant Speaking of the Messiah, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. It is too small in God's economy for God to only save Jews. Too small. Too small a God to see that way. Isaiah says, I will make you a light, the Messiah, to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Does that sound like the Great Commission? Does that sound like the uttermost part of the world? The Jews were given the task. They had their great commission. In Deuteronomy, they were to live life and obey God and tell of his greatness in such a way that the surrounding nations would see him and repent and follow after their God. Instead, they got possessive. Romans 2 tells us, they said, we have the way of living, we have the law of God, we have the word of God, and it's ours and ours alone. Great. Great. So glad God reached out to the nations. But is he done with the Jews? Israel's stumbling results in two divine objectives for salvation. First, it results in the salvation for Gentiles. We'll come back to that in the coming studies, by the way. And We also will speak and come back to this. It also provides salvation for the Jews. You say, hang on. The Jews' stumbling causes salvation for the Jews. Well, it's even more complicated than that. The Jews stumbling causes salvation for the Gentiles and their salvation causes the Jews to be wooed to the gospel. I love verse 12. I love, love, love the end of verse 12. How much more will their fulfillment be if their transgression caused salvation of the Gentiles? If that's what their transgression did... <laughs> how much more will their fulfillment be? You see Fulfillment of what? Well, you can see a parallelism, parallelism rather, between verses 12 and 15 to kind of get an idea about this. In verse 12, their transgression refers to Israel's sin. Their loss refers to Israel's loss of favor with God. Their fullness refers to the reversal of their loss. A time in the future, verse 26 we'll talk about, when all Israel is saved... When Israel experienced the blessing of God again, the bones will be resurrected. Then in verse 15, their rejection is a combination of their transgression and their loss in verse 12. And their acceptance is the same as their fullness and their fulfillment in verse 12. Life from the dead must surely refer to the seeming resurrection of a nation that appears to have died. That's what Ezekiel was prophesying. they will experience fulfillment. And listen, beloved, listen, that fulfillment was not in 1947 and 48. The recollection of the Jews, the recollecting of the Jews into that land is not what God prophesied. Just read Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah. That's not what this is. They haven't received the Messiah. Let me say again, the nation as we know it of Israel over uh, by the Palestinians and south of Syria and north of Egypt, if that nation went out of existence today, that would do nothing to disrupt God's plan. We're gonna come back to that in the last part of the chapter. Verse 13, but I am speaking to you who are Gentiles. He's talking to Gentiles. He's trying to tell us to be faithful. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. We talk about this so often that Paul had the call of God on his life to bring the gospel and the light of Jesus to the Gentiles. You remember what he said, interestingly, in um, Galatians about his ministry and Peter's ministry? Galatians 2.8, for God who effectively worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, Peter was an apostle to the Jews, he also effectively worked in me for the Gentiles. Now that wasn't exclusive. Did Peter have any evangelistic trophies to God's grace of Gentiles? Cornelius, do you remember chapter 10? Did Paul have any success in leading Jews to Christ? Of course they both did. But they were called to go to these people groups. And we say it over and over. I'm just amazed that even though, even though Paul was called to go to the Gentiles, every city in Acts, every city without exception, the first place he goes is to the synagogue. And they beat him up for his trouble. This is a direct reference to God's extending salvation to the nations. Now, verse 14 is an interesting transition. Look at this. If somehow I might move to jealousy, my fellow countrymen and I save some of them. Isn't this interesting? Was Paul Jewish or Gentile? Jewish. Who were supposed to live and act in such a way as to provoke the Jews to jealousy? The Gentiles, but Paul was Jewish. Paul is saying the opposite of what I typically say. I, I just kind of find myself sometimes saying, "I kind of wish I was a Jew." Just kind of wish I was to be saved and Jewish and have the—I don't know. It's just I love what God's doing in Israel. I just kind of think, oh, "I wish I was a Jew." Paul is saying here, "I wish I could be like the Gentiles. I wish I could serve to provoke jealousy." in the lives of Jewish people who need the gospel just like the Gentiles do. Isn't that amazing? My fellow countrymen, and save some of them. This whole thing is about Jews coming to Christ And believing the gospel, it's a direct reference to Deuteronomy, which Paul quoted back in chapter ten, verse nine. If you'll remember, Deuteronomy thirty-two, verse twenty-one: "They made me jealous with what was not a god; their idolatry." God says, "They provoked me to anger with their idols." So this is the result. God says, "So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people; they're they're not Jewish. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation." Interesting. That's you and me if we're Gentile believers. Paul has personally seen God's opening the throne of grace to Gentiles in his own ministry. Acts 13, Acts 18, Acts 19, Acts 28. But this should take us back to Paul's heart. Remember chapter 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites. Now, this should raise a question. Couldn't God have saved Gentiles without hardening the hearts, closing the eyes, and plugging the ears of the Jews? Couldn't couldn't he have done that? Why, Why this way? What would have happened if Israel had accepted Jesus? Ever thought about that? What if they had put the palm branches down on Palm Sunday, and then by the end of the week, instead of crucifying him, put him on the throne. What would have happened? Well, I think we can figure that out without a lot of complication. Let's look at the history. The Jews had failed to be evangelistic when God had called them to reach out to the nations. For millennia, they'd been unfaithful as a nation. And it seems likely that had they Recognize as a nation Jesus as the Messiah, they would have hoarded him as their king, just like they did the word in Romans 2. They would have built a giant wall around Israel and said, This is our God and our kingdom, and it's too bad that you're not Jewish. You say, Well, how would you get that? We read it last week. Remember Luke 18? The Pharisee comes, he comes to pray and he says, oh God, what's this fundamental prayer? I thank you, I'm not like other people. Other people means Gentiles. And then he says, oh, like this tax collector. That attitude, I think, is what fed to God shutting them down. They would have loved to have had Jesus as the king to feed them like he did the the multitudes, to heal them like he did so many but without receiving him as Lord and and their righteousness for sin. And because Jesus knew that and God knew that in his plan, he hardened their hearts. That brings us to verse 15 because we find a word. For if their rejection, there it is, they rejected the Messiah. Remember what Acts 3 said? They killed him. They rejected him. They put to death the prince of life. But here's what he's arguing. If their rejection of the Messiah is the reconciliation of the world, if if that opened the door to the Gentiles, what in the world will their acceptance? Look at rejection, acceptance. Those are set against each other in this, this verse. If the rejection caused the re- reconciliation, reconciliation of the world... Gentiles came to Christ, and that's a great thing. If that happened because of their rejection, what do you think will happen after they accept Jesus as king? He answers it life from the dead, dry bones live, nation comes together, land is inherited. I was speaking to someone just a few weeks ago who just said, "Rick, why why are you so animated about this? Because some of my dearest friends don't believe this is going to happen. In all due respect, but I think the future of Israel as a restored, saved nation under the Messiah in the land of Israel is such a specific promise that if God doesn't answer it, He lied." Oh, and by the way, Titus tells us, God doesn't lie. This is the bones coming back to life from the dead. This acceptance of Jesus as Messiah has an immediate application with the remnant who were saved during Paul's time and during our time, but it will have a future national acceptance. You say, how do you know that? Look down at verse 26. all Israel will be saved In other words if you there will be a day when if you are Jewish you see Jesus as the Messiah and the nation that is called Israel will not be partially apostate partially religious partially superstitious and partially true believers if you name, your name, name the name of Christ and you're Jewish, you live in the land and you inherit the promises as a nation. Now at this point, if you're a Gentile, you're saying, okay, great. So what about us? Paul knows you're going to ask that. Guess what the next passage talks about? Oh, they're the main uh, vine here, and we're actually grafted into what God's doing with them. But we don't have time to do that one today. He summarizes this in verse 16. It looks like a difficult verse. It's really very simple. For if the first piece, uh, or the first fruits, first fruit actually, the, 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 the starter lump of dough, if the first fruits is holy, the first fruits here, the first piece, that's just speaking of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. If they were holy, then the lump, the Jewish descendants after them will be holy. And if the root, the patriarchs also, in the Old Testament, are holy, then the branches, the Jewish descendants, are too. In other words, God has not cast away Israel forever. They are holy, which just means set aside. God has set aside the nation of Israel for his purposes in their future, for their good, and for his glory. It's describing the remnant, but don't miss the promise that verse 26 says, one day all the nation will be saved. Now this introduces us to the next section of God's absolute fulfillment of his promises to Israel. We'll study that in the coming weeks. At the same time, we have to emphasize that the turn from the Jews to the Gentiles in the spread of the gospel is God's plan, not plan B. This is the only plan. Jewish belief, let me say it this way, Jewish unbelief in Jesus is the unfolding plan of God for the salvation of all people who don't have Jewish blood. Including those who do have Abraham's blood. You say, what do you mean by that? I love, Doug Moose says it so well. And listen to the circular reasoning in this, it's so wonderful. Moose says, he explains, the plan that involves, the plan, excuse me, the plan involves an oscillation. You know what oscillation is going back and forth? The plan involves an oscillation between Jews and Gentiles in three stages. Listen to this. Jewish transgression opens the way for Gentile salvation, which leads in the end to Jews being saved. By the way, that cycle is discussed and rehearsed six times in this passage. Chapter 12, I mean, excuse me, verse 12, verse 15, verse 16, verses 17 to 24, and verses 25 to 26, and verses 30 to 31. This is how it happens. The Jews reject... God offers it to Gentiles. Gentiles are to evangelize the Jews. That's really interesting historically. Really interesting if you like Bible theology. But what's our takeaway? Can I just give you a couple? So, so, So what? Please know, first of all, that God is gracious to invite Gentiles into covenant relationship with himself. God is so gracious to allow me to be Grafted into his great salvation work, which he began with Israel. My Messiah is Jewish. Not only that, my Messiah is actually not my Messiah. He's the Messiah who's their Messiah, who I, I've been adopted by, and he becomes my Messiah. What a gift, what a gift. If you were a Gentile, you should take this passage home, read it, and just put your face in your pillow and thank Almighty God that someone gave you the gospel. It was to the Jew first, and also to you. Another takeaway, God is faithful and can be trusted to fulfill his promises. This is his credibility. He, he fulfills all of his promises, not just the ones to Israel. All his promises will come to pass. If you're in a troubled moment, a difficult part of life, a, a trial, a situation that seems hopeless, and you wonder, has God abandoned me? He promised he would never leave you nor forsake you. He wouldn't leave you as an orphan. You have absolute assurance based on the credibility of God that he's going to keep and fulfill all his promises. There's stability in that theology. But a third thing I think you have to take away from this is this. God is doing way more than you see. He is always doing far more than you comprehend. This passage, Paul escorts us over and looks lets us look backstage to see everything that's happening. Are you convinced that Because God fulfills his promises, because he loves you as his son or daughter, because of your faith in Christ, he hasn't left you. He won't forsake you. He does work all things together for good because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you know that he is doing, I wish I had the number, tens of thousands of things in everything that you see. And you're a part of what he's doing. And the last takeaway is, if you know a Jew, how blessed you are to complete the cycle. They rejected, so you could receive, so they could accept. Don't be so discontent as to say, well, I know what they believe and I know what I tell them the hope that's within you. Tell them this. I love your Messiah, and I know him, and you can too. Complete the cycle. There should be no greater friend of any Jew. It's easy to talk about political Israel. Let's not talk about that for a moment. There should be no greater friend to any Jewish person than you if you know Christ.